Hey there, history fans. Welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the Modern Age. I'm Lauren. I'm Melissa. And on today's episode, we are covering the disappearance of Louis Le Prince. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to leave us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, and you can also contact us through our email at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also go to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which is historyexplainsall underscore podcast. Yes, you can visit our page for our Today in History segment, or also our Archaeology and News segment. And to vote on upcoming episode topics, please go vote. And on that note, let's begin the episode. Life or the early life of Louis Le Prince, whose full name was actually Louis Aime Augustine Le Prince. That's a really long name. And he was born in Metz, France on August 28th, 1841. His father was actually a member of a legion or a group of people that was found by Napoleon Bonaparte, the I'm going to butcher this. The Légion d'Honneur. His father was also known to have some rather peculiar friendships. Really odd people here and there that were his friends. And one of his friends was Daguerre, who worked in photography early on, like early photography. And Daguerre was actually the one who taught Louis Le Prince about photography and chemistry as a young child kind of interesting if that name sounds familiar that's how we get daguerreotypes yes daguerre by the way oh sorry thank you i will help you with your french thank you because i don't know french and i'm i told you i'm going to butcher everything uh okay where was it uh he goes on to study in paris in leipzig he studied painting in paris of course and chemistry in leipzig And in 1866, he moved to Leeds, England, where he began to work with and for John Whitley, who was a friend who he had met while studying in Leipzig at Whitley Partners of Hunslet. He actually married John Whitley's sister, Elizabeth, three years later. A couple of years into the marriage, John and Elizabeth decided to open the Leeds Technical School of Art. In 1881, the family picked up and moved from Leeds to the United States of America, where they lived for six years. In 1887, they made the decision to return home to Leeds. And once they moved back to Leeds, Le Prince actually already had a single lens camera and he patented it. It was a 16 lens camera. Uh, So said single lens in my source. He had both. Okay. Uh, he patented the single lens, according to the source I read. <laughs> well, I'm going to go into his cameras and his patents. Oh, lots of information here. So I'm going to go into the patents kind of first, and then I'll go into kind of how the cameras work because they're really fascinating. But I also just like cameras, and I'm a nerd. So in 1886, Le Prince filed and received patents for his 16 lens motion camera, which we will have pictures of posted on our Instagram. And these patents, like it's a tad confusing. These, these particular ones for the 16 lens camera were from Britain and France. He was attempting to get a patent for his single lens camera from America, which I'll get into in a little bit. But most of us are taught in school that Edison created the first camera or maybe the Lumiere brothers in the late 1800s. Not true. It was Le Prince. Le Prince did it years before Edison. So Edison, I don't think, even got his first patent for his cameras until 1891, which was five years after Le Prince's first patent in 1886. If my math is correct. So in 1886, shot a couple of movies on it, and then went on to develop a single lens camera, which he attempted to patent in 1888. 
And what we have left of any of his movies that were shot, and I'll go into those in another section, are four very short clips. They are referred to as the Round Hay Garden scene, the accordion, Leeds Bridge, and Man Rounding a Corner, or Walking Around a Corner. And again, these are years before Lumiere Brothers and Edison. And the only issue with these is that they're fragments. They're not whole movies. They're two and a half to three seconds long. It's all we've got left. Now, any other camera enthusiasts out there might also know the name of some of the other camera inventors at the time. And these were William Freese Green and Wordsworth Donisthorpe of uh, Britain, Edward Moybridge in the U.S. And some people think that Moybridge actually created the first camera. But Moybridge, if everyone's anyone who's ever seen it or taken a film studies class, you've seen the what looks like a motion picture capture of a horse running but what they are are they actually they're stills of a horse running because his moybridge is a whole project was to determine because horses run so fast just like kind of like cats they run so fast you can't tell if they actually pick up all of their hooves all at once so that was his entire that, that was his project so he set up motion picture camera captures but still it's not a full run through like a camera we have today and though has the horse ran by on the track it triggered the cameras and they got a single shot and then he took those shots put it into a moving projector like apparatus and you could actually see it as a motion but that's because it was put in a different it was a motion projector, which gave it the appearance, but it was not actually a camera like La, La, La Princess. But Moybridge was another one. And then you also had the Slendowski brothers in Germany, Etienne, Jules-Marie, and France. And again, all these people are still before the Lumia brothers and Edison in the 1890s. And you had people just picking up different ideas or coming up with their own. It's, it's the Victorian era, the age of invention. Now, as I said, Moybridge is thought to have created the first motion picture camera, but some of my sources had a really interesting question. The question comes down to definition of film and camera. And as I said, Moybridge is by, his was done by successive photographs of the running horse. Le Prince's design actually captured motion on his camera without the need for successive stills to put into a rotating projector. So that's a big difference. Now, when it came to his camera, he used a light sensitive type of paper that did allow him to project his images at his workshop, which is where he tended to air a lot of them uh, for his family and friends as kind of like a home movies thing before he would actually show it off to the world, make sure it worked when he had a lot of issues with his projector. So he did want to make sure things were okay before you just show it off to the world. But he wanted to come up with a more durable solution in order to be able to show it in more venues. So celluloid was a thing of the time, but it definitely wasn't as common as it would become. But in 1889, he actually decided that he would use the celluloid as part of his projector in creating his film projects. And that's what he would use for the next year or so until he mysteriously disappeared. With his new projector and his film and his new single lens camera, Le Prince actually staged a showing of his films at the National Opera House in Paris on March 30th, 1890. And again, three years before Edison was even showing his own films. I'm just going to keep reiterating that. Now, with the success of his showings at the Opera House, he actually decided he would travel to New York where his wife and kids were actually still staying and have a showing of his movies and try to, to make it public that he created the first motion camera and also to see if he would still be able to get a, pat, a US patent on his single lens camera. Now, the big thing is, is that he never made it. Also with the US patent, uh, unfortunately, it's the wording of the patents in England. So let's see, the, the patent for the 16 lens camera he had a specific wording in there that did not allow for the patent to also cover a single lens camera. 
And then when he tried to get the patent for the US for the single lens camera, they said, no, 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 we already have this, but it was a whole different type of camera. And that was a whole legal issue. It was just, patents can be crazy to try to get. Oh, even. they're insane. Yeah, oh yeah, even today. Like they're, no, they're even worse today. <laughs> That's probably true. I, There's I so know. much more legal wording to it today than there was back then, which makes it like a stack, like ridiculous, like a foot thick. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the amount of paperwork and red tape you have to go through. Although the images have been digitalized, digitized, 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 thank you. They are online for public viewing, which I do have some sources in my notes for YouTube compilations for these. And they're definitely worth watching. And I'll go them over them in a different section. According to one of my main sources, the author claims that it's very likely that one, the images that you see, at least for Ron Hay Garden scene and the accordion player, may actually be part of the same film or some of the stills where they were they're, they're thought to be different films but they may be from the same film or the some of the stills like from Leeds traffic might be we had the, the, the essentially the screenshot portions of it or we've you know and they've been pasted out of original sequence so that's a possibility even though the, again these are three second long clips, if less. So according to James Longley, which was uh, one of Le Prince's assistants, if, you, if you're looking at the Leeds traffic scene, it says where the tram horses were seen moving over it and all the traffic as if you were on the bridge itself. I'm sorry, this was, I'm sorry, let me jump back. According to James Longley, Le Prince's assistant, when the Prince actually gave a viewing of his shooting of the Leeds traffic scene, this is actually according to uh, like a, a part of his memoir, where the tram horses were seen moving over it and all the traffic as if you were on the bridge yourself. I could even see the smoke coming out of a man's pipe who was lounging on the bridge. Now, unfortunately, when you're looking at what is remaining of Lee traffic bridge, there is no smoke. You don't see that. You don't see a man on the side of the bridge. And this has actually led some research to believe that what was recalled by the prince's assistant and the people of the workshop and his family are again not what we see today because we don't have the original displayed cut of the film it is also believed that the surviving films have black borders and white frames which normally like if you ever seen an old clip of, of or if you ever seen clips of film there's usually like a one two and three sequential like film sections that you you know if you're spliced if you're shooting out of order you know which order to splice it back into and according to I, i'm gonna ifan shah i think is how you pronounce their name of historytoday.com which is one of my sources he actually poses an interesting question why weren't these things noticed before since they actually have been restored to a degree at least uh, it's more than likely that because they aren't looked at as parts these four two to three second films but as a rather as a whole as in being the first moving film pieces so they make a note saying it's a shame because his work is beautiful and unusual which is actually true and where other pioneers of film tended to have more basic scenery just plain traffic a person moving a person sneezing etc it's very straightforward uh the author actually mentions that Le Prince actually seems to be giving his actors, quote unquote, direction while actually filming, which you can sort of see when you're watching around hate garden scenes. So one of the quotes I have from this article by the author is Le Prince was not just capturing these moments, but directing them as well. The figures, fleeting interactions, their self-consciousness and amusement, despite it all, make Round Hank Garden a moment of quite charm and subtle mischief. An accordion scene by Le Prince's son, Adolf. He plays the ap uh, eponymous, ep eponymous instrument, I guess. He smiles broadly and executes a graceful sidestep framed by the dory behind him. And in Leeds bridge scene, Le Prince shoots from an upper window, ensuring that the bridge cuts a pleasing diagonal line through the frame. So you can see it's kind of like if you've ever seen, I want, I'm gonna, like the first thing that comes to mind is Cabinet of Dr. Caligari when you're talking German impressionist, impressionism film 
from the early 20s. It's experimental, it's new, it's different. You're trying a whole bunch of different angles, all this kind of fun stuff. But this is also well before that as well. There's about 40 years before that. And as we said, so Le Prince came from an artist background. He came from a photography background. He came from a chemical background. He knew how these things worked, but he wasn't just looking at it as viewing, oh, there's a flower. Let me just film the flower. It's no, let's film the flower and maybe animals around it and give it a more of an immersive effect, which is not something you would see for a few more years at the least. So a 16 lens camera and his found footage, those few seconds of film were actually archived at the natural, natural, National Media Museum in Bradford, England. And according to the associate curator, Tony Hood, quote, if you look at the mechanisms that the camera is using, it's very, it's a very similar mechanism to all the subsequent moving image cameras that came after that. It's a single roll of film moving from one spool to the other through a shutter and taking sequential images, which then were designed to be projected to reproduce that movement. And as somebody who spent eight years working in the movie theater as a head projectionist, I could agree with that. Real to real film, fun stuff. I'm sorry, it wasn't real to real. We did platter to platter, but still working with actual film can be a really massive in the tush no i was gonna go with uh brain because there is a mechanism on the platter it's called a brain and sometimes the film would wrap around it ah yes as you can tell i did not work in movie theater no not fun took hours to figure some of those out and fix them up oh don't i don't even get me started sounds horrible you already got yourself started So in terms of his camera workings, it is believed that, and as we've mentioned, he started kind of tinkering around. So obviously his first 16 lens camera came out in 1886. So it's believed that he was tinkering around with motion picture technology as early as the early 1880s. And by 1885, he'd actually created the 16 lens camera. And then the following year received the Britain and France patents. And the patents descriptions actually state, quote, method of and apparatus for producing animated pictures of natural scenery and life. That was just a portion of these patents, of course. And it was made to take 16 photographs in one second order, or in one second in order to produce a sequence of images. So it's just like 16 cameras going off at once, taking all pictures and then, but it's on one single roll of film. It's really interesting. And of course, after the success of creating the 16 lens camera, he wanted to attempt to make a single lens camera, which is mostly what we use today. And he finished creating it in 1887. So he's really good at creating stuff and received a patent for it in 1888. And again, he was working on receiving his U.S. patent for it. So the single lens camera, and there's also a reproduction of it there's no reproduction. So there's the 16 lens camera, the single lens camera, and the found footage are all at the museum. So there's pictures of it, and it's a wooden casing made of mahogany. And the thing weighs at least 40 pounds. It's very big. There's a hand crank on the side that would actually allow the light-sensitive paper to be moved between the lenses and the camera shutters. And for anyone, uh, again, film buffs out there who are really, really interested in film, This first ever single lens camera shot film at seven frames a second, which for back then that was really fast. So prior to common use of celluloid, as I mentioned, it was a very difficult process to project film negatives due to the heat of the projector, which was a major issue for Le Prince because he had essentially to work around the heat of the projector, trying not to melt his film, which is also a really big hazard been there he would actually use rolls of a type of sensitized paper in order to capture the film and then this particular paper allowed him to peel it off the film and then stick it onto small glass plates which were then used in the projector kind of like if you were to splice film put it into a slide projector single piece put that single piece of film into the slide projector and then run the slide projector. It's not unlike that from what I can imagine in my head. And this way, the film itself, because it's 
the glass is kind of a buffer, it allows it to not overheat the film and burn the film. Now, around the time of his disappearance, which we'll get to in just a few minutes, he was also known for tinkering and creating a design and trying to work on a patent for a new and improved projector that would also be able to withstand, would maybe not be quite so heat sensitive or, or overheat, prone to overheating at least. And it is actually said that he was carrying the patents for this in his briefcase when he disappeared. So before we get to his disappearance, I do want to briefly go over his four films. And again, we have sources and the links and our sources for these. So his first one is Man Walking Around a Corner in 1887. Now, again, these are two to three second long film clips. So there's not usually a, a whole lot of information. One of Ron Haker and scenes does have a lot more information than any of the rest. But as I was doing my research, I came across some really fun stuff. So I'm just going to share some ratings and reviews for these that I came across. They're not from the time, but they're still fun to listen to. So Man Walk Around a Corner, 1887. That was his very first film. It's two seconds long. And it literally is just a man walking around a corner. And I, I, we don't know who the person is or where it was shot. But my thought would be that might be one of the prince's assistants or someone from the workshop and maybe shot at the workshop if you finished it now you're just like a test and that's all we really know about the film i i couldn't find anything about who was in it or when it was shot where it was shot but are you ready for some fun reviews oh lord <laughs> i'm scared oh these are hilarious so Man Walking Around a Corner, a two-second film from 1887, has a 5.2 on IMDb and a 91 approval rating by Google users. I'm sorry, a what? A 5.2 rating on IMDb for a two-second clip from 1887 and a 91%, 91% approval by Google users, viewers. So each film, I found a rate and several reviews. So I'm going to go over both. So some of the reviews for a two-second clip for a man walking around a corner would be, this movie was brilliantly filmed as I can find myself viewing it once or even twice a day in its entirety. I feel that part two is needed without a shadow of a doubt. Honestly, 10 out of 10. I was waiting for you to laugh. Really? Oh, that gets so much better. Oh, God. <laughs> I was so happy when I found these. All right, so next, so I have three reviews or so for each. So the next review for Man Walk Around a Corner is fantastic, a moving picture. I bet these will take off. Oh, the sarcasm in that <laughs> one. And then the next one is very entertaining, great graphics. I saw it when it came out with my son and daughter. When is the DVD coming out? And the last one for Man Walk Around a Corner is, oh, you ready for this? <sighs> It tells a pretty complex story and it does it remarkably well. Well acted, well directed, well scripted. Basically anything you can say about a movie that's good can relate to man walking around a corner. Let me just say, if you are a fan of good movies, you need to watch this. This is the movie. No other movie is like it. Oy vey. <laughs> so moving on to Round Hay Garden Scenes, which is his second movie. This is a two and a half second long film that was shot on October 14th of 1888. And we know that, uh, and I'll get to that in just a minute why we know that. And it was shot at Round Hay Cottage on Oakwood Grain Lane in Leeds. And it was actually the property of his parents-in-law, Mr. and Mrs. Whitley. So in Round Hay Gardens, you'll see two ladies and two men. The two ladies are slowly moving around side to side. One man circles them and the other one walks from one side of the shot to the other side. And it's possible that the prince even drew past in the dirt in order to keep, again, his quote, actors in the shot. So they didn't move too far off framing. And if this is possibly true, it actually would probably be the first instance of film directing, as well as also being one of the first film pieces ever made. So the two women in Round Hay Garden scenes are Sarah Whitley, who was 72 at the time. And I saw Annie and or Harriet Hartley, which was a friend of the family. And the two men are James Whitley, husband of Sarah Whitley, and Luke Prince's son, Adolph, 
And as I mentioned, the Ground Hay Cottage actually belonged to Mr. and Mrs. Whitney. So the piece was shot at the Whitley home in 1888, much like other films in history. This one also has a bit of a tragedy to it. So I don't, don't want to say it's a curse, but certainly some tragedy. So just days after shooting, who knows how long the original went for, but at least this two and a half second remnant of Ron Hay Garden scenes, days after, 72-year-old Mrs. Sarah Whitley passed away. But also interesting to note, she is known to be the oldest person to have ever been filmed on early camera as she was born in 1816. Motion camera, not film, uh, your film camera, not still lifes. The second death would be the prince's son, Adolf, in 1901, who was found dead in a wooded area, apparently shot to death. The case says that he was out hunting on Fire Island in New York. There was a gun next to him. Some say accident, some say suicide. Some of his family kind of claimed that it was a hit on Adolf by enemies of the prince. And the third, of course, is the prince himself, even though he's not on camera. There's a really, really good, I think it's maybe two and a half minutes long, but it's in my source notes. It's a really fantastic restoration video for this. And it even gets colorized. It's really pretty. Are you ready for some rates and reviews for Ron Hay Garden scene? No. <laughs> but... Bad. I mean, I, let me take that back. My stomach is not ready for the amount of pain it's going to be in for the laughter. <laughs> oh, oh it, and it will be, yes. All right. So Ron Hay Garden Scene has a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an 89% Google viewer approval. So those are the ratings. Are you ready for some reviews? So this first review is, oh... I love it. Okay. So this innovative piece of cinema is highly underrated and would strongly recommend this to anyone who loves good artistic aesthetic film. The colors and emotions all blend together and the plot is magnificent, even if I do say so, better than Cat in the Hat. The characters and their development is just phenomenal. I can't say one bad thing other than that. It's incredibly long. Did he seriously just mention Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss? The review did. I'm just yeah, what review. Yeah. 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 He, them, they, that person who made that review mentioned that it's better than the cat in the hat movie, which most things are, by the way. What seriously? You're gonna compare to Cat in the Hat? I, I personally like the last part of it saying that for a two and a half second video, it, it was great, just incredibly long. <laughs> I was waiting for that laugh. Well, somebody needs instant gratification. All right, the next review for Ron Hay Garden Scenes. I love this one. I could not, couldn't have not put this in here. Truly exhilarating experience. The plot twist in the end was unforeseen and shocking. I really enjoyed the vintage look, despite the fact that I am aware that it was photoshopped. The effects are very much appreciated and enhanced the viewing experience greatly. The 4K film and the 16 to 9 ratio made the film extremely immersive. I believe this might have been Tarantino's first work, as well as his magnum opus. All in all, I believe that round hay garden scene was the best use of two seconds I've had in my life. Photoshopped in Tarantino. That's totally something Tarantino would do. What in the... <laughs> Either people are being really sarcastic in these reviews or... <laughs> no, they're being sarcastic. I I'm assuming sarcasm funny. because this is just ridiculous. <laughs> No, no, I guarantee you they're sarcasm. They're just funny. Although the next review for the last one I have for Ron Higarn scenes may not actually be sarcastic, but I still love it. it, it it's still funny. So the, the last review for Ron Higarn scenes is the most breathtaking movie I have ever watched. Although I had to watch it twice in one go because the first time I blinked and I missed it. <laughs> oh, Lord, that's funny. All right, exactly. So movie number three would be Leeds Traffic Bridge or Leeds Bridge Traffic in 1888. Like we don't have an exact date for this. I don't have an exact spot for this. As I mentioned before, and my uh, one of the articles I read talked about how it's probably an inverted image. You, it's cut in a certain way. You're not seeing the man smoking. There are no horse trams. There's no horse cars. So the things that you likely would have seen. So. I feel like maybe I mentioned it. It's in the 
my main source for a lot of the descriptive information on these four scenes. But Lee's traffic bridge in particular is, so the reason these are remnants rather than a whole film is it's believed that these were cutting room floor pieces. These were cut from the original film and then found later on. So this is why we only have seconds worth. We don't also, I don't even know how long a full shot could have taken a film and either the 16 or with this single use camera either. But the Leeds traffic, Leeds Prince traffic, again, is only about two seconds long. Likely was much longer. And given the memoirs and recollections of the people who saw the original footage, what we see is not what they see. So it's very likely that this is just a cutting room floor found footage section that was removed from the original because we don't see much of what anyone else saw. So, so again, I don't know where this was, where on the bridge this was shot, what date this was shot. We do know it was shot in 1888. So Leeds Bridge traffic has a 6.7 on IMDb and a 92% Google approval viewer rating. And the first review, it was <laughs> first review is it was incredible. I have never seen a movie like this. I was in tears of joy when the traffic crossed. And then the second is fascinating, still waiting for the sequel. And the last one I have is if you've ever wondered what traffic crossing Leeds Bridge was like, here you go. They're not as funny as the other ones. No, but this one, there, there's not much acting. And this one, it's literally just a traffic shot of a moving picture. So the last one is the accordion player, which also came out in 1888. And this is known to be Le Prince's last film project on his single lens camera. Although the date for the accordion player is not known, we do know that it was filmed in 1888. And it also additionally stars his son, Adolf. Now, according to movies.fandom.com, they say it was shot on the steps of the homes of James Whitley at Round Eight Cottage, which it is. And in fact, they even say that the film may have even been from the same recording that Round Eight Garden scene was shot as Adolf is also wearing the same outfit. Now, yes and possibly no. The amount of clothing people owned back then was not anywhere near the amount of clothing we all own today. You had, if you were lucky, you had five or six outfits that you would change out tops and bottoms with so just because he's wearing the same outfit doesn't mean it was shot on the same day but given that they're all shot in 1888 it's entirely probable so the accordion player which also runs for about two seconds has a five and a half on imdb with an 80 percent approval on google by viewers and the reviews are amazing plot twists at the end like whoa was not expecting that this movie has really good jump scares and scary scenes. Really made this movie good. It's mostly PG, but some parts aren't that good for children. Not out of 10. Must watch. If I didn't, if, if, if the title wasn't a dead giveaway, it's literally just Adolf taking a few steps down side to side while playing an accordion. So these reviews are, I think are just funny. And the second review is, it's not a bad movie. It's very cool and has amazing actors. Totally recommend. 10 out of 10. And the next one is, I love that he plays the accordion. And the last review I have for these movies is pure art. I could pay a dime for this, which I think is slightly hearkening back to the Nickelodeons of the 1890s, where you would put a nickel into the machine, put your face into the apparatus and really watch 20 seconds of a film for five cents. And that's all I have on Le Prince's, his cameras, his patents, and some very interesting film reviews. Off yeah. Shall we disappear and go on to a, a little adventure with him? I don't know. Shall we? Do we want to go on to his adventure that probably didn't end well? I'll get to that in the theory section. How about you talk about his disappearance? All right. Well, his disappearance, it's, it's not exactly extremely long here. So it's a quick little insert, basically. On September 16th, 1890, Le Prince was traveling by a train in France. And uh, he, along with his luggage, disappeared. Like, he never boarded that train. It was a train that was traveling between Dijon and his final destination. And, uh, well, the French police and Scotland Yard 
both did a, they opened up an inquiry into his disappearance and searched for him. Never found him. No one's ever found him. Don't know what happened. Don't know where he died, what, how he died. Uh, as far as I know, pertaining to the disappearance from those inquiries, we know nothing. So yet yeah, they searched and searched and uh, at a point they had to stop searching because they had to deal with other cases and uh, they, the inquiry just ended up being closed. Theories? Tell us the theories! <laughs> there are four main theories. Give me one tick. I'm going to ask. Fassal, I need to know. Adding something in the chat. Don't open the chat yet until I tell you. All right. So there are four main theories. As we mentioned, he disappeared on September 16th, 1890. What is the day that this is airing? September 16th. Funny enough, completely coincidental. Yeah, we actually did not did plan not that. Plan out. <laughs> I was just like, hey, we landed on Louis the Prince and we did a random poll. Yes. I just, I just got excited. So that would be 131 years to the day of his disappearance from the day that this episode airs. So four theories would be theory number one is he was bumped off by competitors and or Edison, or at least goons hired by Edison, which would not exactly be unsurprising. I felt that one too. And I was like, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Not coming from Edison. So many things I could say, but I we chose to not curse on this broadcast. Continuing. Yeah, we could, but uh I mean you can say some mean things without it cur- without using curse words. True. I just never liked Edison. I think he's a big twat. Wait, can I say that or do we have to bleep all <laughs> <of> too? <laughs> it's okay. Anywho. So <laughs> you good? Okay, so it's often believed that Edison, being so close to creating his own version of the motion picture camera, which he would create, uh, which would become known worldwide, I'm sorry, Le Prince's camera, had he been able to show it in America in 1890, would have shown up Edison. It would have been a worldwide phenomenon. He would have been known as the first person to create the motion picture camera, which, of course, Edison being Edison, wanted to be the first in a whole bunch of things, wanted to have the fame and glory, wanted to make money, which interesting enough for Edison, majority of his money did not come from the patents or his inventions, which he actually stole from a bunch of people. They actually came from the litigations, from the lawyer fees that he won in his own cases, (sighs) because, you know, it's Edison. So it's the the Edison theory is that Edison had Le Prince kidnapped and or murdered to prevent him from showing Le Prince's creation to the world before Edison could actually show his. And according to British patent law, a spouse of a deceased cannot use or commercialize the deceased's invention for seven years after their death. Because if it's a missing person's case, you have to wait seven years for them to be legally dead. This would mean that Lizzie LePrince, Elizabeth, his wife, would not be able to make any money on LePrince's creations and show the world his camera until 1897, which was then four years after Edison had successfully created, patented, and produced his camera. So unfortunately, I'm sorry. So Edison's camera came out in 1894, his patent, he got it in 1896, beating Le- the prince's commercialization for his camera by a whole year because Lizzie could not do anything till 1897. So the theory that Le Prince was kidnapped and or murdered by Edison and his goons was actually believed by Lizzie herself. She wrote about it in her memoirs. And 1897 as well, Mutoscope, which was a company that also did motion cameras, was being sued by Edison on the grounds of infringement of his camera. So, but interestingly enough, the prince's son, Adolf, was actually called in as a witness for Mutoscope. And in fact, he took a year off from college to gather evidence for this trial to make the case that his father, as we now know, was the first to create the motion picture camera, not Edison. In addition, uh, Adolf and his mother, Elizabeth, believed that Edison still had Louis captive seven years after he disappeared. Because if Edison could win the court case, then maybe he would have them released, which is a lot of hope. 
And one of the pieces of evidence that Adolf actually was able to prove that his father was the first to introduce a motion picture camera to court during the litigation with Mutoscope was the death of his mother-in-law, Sarah Whitley. As I mentioned, she comes into play later. So this is where she comes. And according to her death certificate, Sarah Whitley died at age of 72 on October 24th of 1888. He was actually able to bring in a copy of her death certificate to prove that Round Hay Garden scene was shot prior to her death, which was certified in 1888, which again was years before Edison. But unfortunately, the trial, which took place in the U.S., only focused on the U.S. patent for the single lens camera rather than the British patent or the French patent, which were again for a 16 lens camera. And apparently the U.S. Patent Office, while deciding to approve the prince's patent decided to remove the, remove the phrase, quote, one or more lenses from the patent on grounds that they had already granted a patent for a single-use lens prior to 1888. And as I mentioned this before, and however, this was only for a still camera, not a motion picture camera, which are two different types of cameras. But unfortunately, the patent office didn't see it that way. So because of this technicality, Edison won the won the case, won the right sort of to boast that he created the first, first motion picture camera. And unfortunately, the Le Princes would be forgotten for quite some time. Interesting side note, Le Prince's first biographer, E.K. Scott, who wrote about Le Prince in the early, late 20s into the early 30s, was he... he he wrote about Le Prince in part in order for the family to actually receive money for Le Prince's invention, also trying to get his name out into the public. So it wasn't too long, too, too long, at least, after that. Like, well, no, and this at, at this time, Edison was even still alive because I think Edison died in the early 40s and late 30s, early 40s. But at this time, they were still trying to get people to realize that Le Prince actually uh, beat Edison. Yeah, but Edison would have none of it. Because of E.K. Scott, though, it kind of led a lot of people to believe that Edison may have captured or murdered uh, Le Prince for his, you know, because Edison was kind of good, good at reverse engineering. So he would take other people's technology and inventions, kind of re reverse engineer it, and then try to patent it before they could, because that was Edison's stick. So Unfortunately, because of the way Scott wrote his biography, which he chose to write about Le Prince as if he only had success with his inventions, rather than additionally detailing his various failures and obstacles like everybody has when they're trying to create something that literally no one has seen before. This is probably one of the main reasons that has led many to believe the theory that Le Prince was kidnapped by any of his rivals who were trying to put themselves as being the first person, person to create the motion picture camera. So our second theory is the brother of Louis Le Prince, Albert Le Prince. And it was actually speculated that his own brother was the cause of his disappearance. So on September 16th, Albert actually saw Le Prince to the train station at Dijon because he claiming that he not only saw his brother board the train, but also he talked with him through the compartment train window. However, when the investigation finished, they said they weren't able to find any passengers that day who saw the prince on the train. Those who also suspect Albert also do so based on the contents of their mother's will, who died in 1887. So it was speculated that Le Prince was not only on his way to Dijon to hear the will as his brother was the executor, but also to receive a portion of their inheritance which was reported to be equivalent to $140,000 in today's money. Now, when investigations were going on in 1890, according to the police reports, I'm thinking the French police reports, the, it said that the PD did not know about the inheritance, nor did they even question Albert's claim of watching his brother board the train to Paris. So several authors have looked into this case over the years, as well as the prince's great-granddaughter, who don't actually support this theory. Even... Elizabeth Le Prince, who published her memoirs and thought that her, her, her reasoning was that Edison kidnapped and or killed her, her husband. She did not even 
suspect Albert the Prince of any of this, as she consistently wrote that they were a very loving and close family. They also don't believe, as a side note, that the theory that Adolphe was also killed by henchmen of Edison uh, in 1901, as most people think it was probably just a hunting accident. One of the strangest ones is that the prince faked his death or chose to disappear on the very, well, not the literal eve, but on, on the verge of being known as the first motion camera inventor and also on his way to America to present it. Why would you just choose to disappear when your whole point was to create and get these patents and be known for this amazing invention that no one's ever seen before? So this fate his death chose to disappear was actually a theory put forth by Le Prince's great nephew, which was Albert's grandson. And he posits that Le Prince was in serious debt. He claims that he was possibly up to $84,000 in today's money in debt. And in the 1870s, he loaned money to the Whitleys for a business adventure, but unfortunately didn't work out. So according to the grandson, Albert's grandson, uh, Louis and Lizzie had to jointly support the family as well as the prince's cameras, patents, equipments, uses, venues, his time tinkering around, getting materials. Invention's not a cheap thing to do. So according to author Christopher Rawlins, uh, the prince wrote to Lizzie in New York in April of 1890, stating that his projector was needing repair and tweaking, also stating that in the letter, he hoped to send another letter soon letting her know how successful he was, as well as sending her cash, as neither of them were making much at the time, because he still wasn't able to get a patent through. The theory continues with LP making, sorry, LP Le Prince, making the trip to Dijon for an, in his inheritance. But upon hearing the will, he found that, that he didn't have any of the funds readily available to him. So even though he was receiving it, it's probably he had to wait a certain amount of time before he could withdraw money or it wasn't all available at one time. Rawlins also puts forth the theory that Le Prince, being a perfectionist, particularly about his projector, decided that he'd simply get off the train on the way back to Paris rather than face his family with his defeat. Still does not match his personality from what I, I've been able to gather. A detractor to this theory is someone who actually knew Le Prince rather quite well, one of his assistants, Frederick Mason. And Mason actually made the statement that with the money to be made by the camera, and close, being so close to his debut, it would not fit with the prince to make himself disappear on the edge of his success, which I completely agree with. Our last theory is the great-granddaughter of the prince herself, Laurie Snyder. I really quite like her theories. And her theory is, as she puts it, simplistic and mundane. When the prince left Dijon, he was supposed to meet some of his friends, the Wilsons, at the station in Paris as they were on their way to London. And when he didn't get off the train, according to the time he was supposed to, they decided, well, I guess we'll just go back on our way to England because he's late. And because he, he was supposed to catch a specific train. And when he didn't arrive and they waited and waited and he didn't show up, they figured, well, we have to go catch our, our, our boat. So according to Lori Snyder and her great, great grandmother's memoirs and Lizzie's memoirs, as Le Prince was, he left late from Dijon. The train he was arriving on came into Paris around 11 p.m. Being late for his pickup, the Wilsons, I'm sorry, being late for his pickup by the Wilsons, Le Prince decided to take a cab back to his workshop. Being alone and only carrying a briefcase with him, which is alluded to have been carrying patents for his new updated projector. But Snyder believes that the driver of the cab he took likely took advantage of the situation, mugged Le Prince, possibly hitting him over the head and tossing him into the Seine. So according to Snyder also, there were at least two articles from the local Paris papers at the time that report that there were thieves who were targeting lone travelers coming into Paris and that Le Prince just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. She continues to state, Quote, I simply cannot believe that a man who lived, loved his family so much as he did, as evidenced by his letters, would either commit suicide or disappear on his own. The idea that his brother murdered him is ridiculous. He came from a very close and loving family. Edison 
although he was certainly ruthless, probably had better things to do than order a hit on a competitor. I think that most of these theories are crazy, as the family spent a lot of time and money trying to find him. Interesting side note, or at least as an add-on to this theory, which I, I is entirely probable and plausible, a search of the Paris police archives in 2003 revealed a photo of a drowned man that was from 1890 in Paris and has actually a very interesting striking resemblance to the 50-year-old Le Prince. So pull up that picture I sent you. All right, it's up. Not a bad similarity to the the already gray and bushy mutton chops of Le Prince around the time he, uh, around 1890, huh? Yeah. Look at the nose, too. The nose is very similar. Yeah. Like a copy of him, but older. Mm -hmm. Like a copy of him, but older. Yeah. Sorry, I had to move the mic closer. Realized that it was too far away. I mean, if they were twins from a different decade. (laughs) So what do you think happened? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I know he's dead. I mean, it's 135 years after. That's all I know. <laughs> I'm not a theory person, you know that. I like theories. I personally don't believe in them. I think the drowning victim is probably my favorite theory because it, no, I mean the picture looks really good, but I don't know. I kind of like the idea that Thomas Edison did it just because Thomas Edison was such a mean person trying not to curse as well. <laughs> <laughs> Once you, once you essentially go down the road of Tesla versus Edison, you realize how horrible of a person Edison really was. And that was later on in his career. Oh, yeah. Edison was horrible. Awful human being. Well, that's everything I have for theories, patents, cameras, reviews, everything on Le Prince. Anything else you want to add? Aside from go watch these clips because they're very funny. Careful not to blink while you're watching them. You may miss them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is two and a half seconds long? Well, a lot of the videos uh, on YouTube have them looped for several seconds in a row. So you shouldn't be able to miss well, it. Yeah, I was going to say the nice thing is, is that a lot of people on YouTube just have it on repeat for like at least a couple of minutes. Yeah. But if you like film and restoration, definitely check out that source note I have for the YouTube restoration video on Rotten Hay Garden Scenes. It's really cool. No just kidding no go see it go see it go take a look check it out our sources will be up on facebook Alrighty. well that'll do for this episode of history explains it all and we hope to see you next week as we trek through history too explain it all i don't know that we'll ever get that down (laughs) we had it down and now it's gone (laughs) bye See y'all later.